G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We'll share some thoughts today on the context of what is really important in our lives. In light of the major developments around the world in this whole year, whether it be COVID and the crisis that the world faces, not only as a health crisis but an economic crisis, but also just in light of the huge developments after the U.S. presidential elections. As restrictions have been gradually lifted and life takes on some semblance of normality here in Australia, we're aware of the millions who have had forced change this year. Whether it's losing a job or having hours cut or family stresses, change is something that many of us are struggling to adapt to. And it seems that this is true for churches too. And perhaps there are dimensions that are happening in our churches that are related not only to the COVID issues, but also potentially to the big issues, whether they be political issues or what we might even class as culture wars. All of these things impacting on our way that we can be committed to the things of God. So while so many churches have been able to pivot and adapt to church in an online environment with everything that's going on, not every church has been successful streaming into living rooms. And many churchgoers have found that online church is no real substitute for the authentic experience of gathering together. In fact, it seems that a forced detachment from church through lockdowns has separated some believers from local church routines and relationships. How important are those routines and relationships? We'll get into some of that today. In fact, for many of us on the fringes of church, it's easy to become detached, whether it's because we've been forbidden to meet or because no church on Sunday has created a new routine and fueled a neglect in reconnecting. So what are we really missing in a detachment from church? And what might be causing those detachments? Well, David Robertson is our guest over this next hour. He's director of what's called Third Space, a project of City Bible Forum in Australia. He originates out of Scotland and writes for newspapers, magazines, and is the author of a number of books, including The Dawkins Letters and Engaging with Atheists. And David is our guest over this next hour. David, a special welcome back to 2020. Yeah, it's great uh, to be with you again. And uh, great. I remember the last time I was on, I really enjoyed the interchange with people from all over Australia. So thank you for having me on again. Well, David, before we get into uh, some of the issues around what's so valuable about connecting and belonging and making it your routine to be a part of your local church, 
there's a lot of things that are dividing people, uh, separating people, detaching people, uh, whether they be economic or health issues or whether they be political issues that uh, give us all sorts of reasons to change direction. I just want to make a reference to an article that you've written and uh, just been published in the latest edition of Christianity Today. And you've been reflecting on lessons from the U.S. presidential election for the worldwide church. Why don't we start with a thought or two here before we talk about how valuable church is? Uh, you've uh, you've obviously been inspired after a whole lot of things as a Christian. You're saying, wow, we can learn some great lessons here. Uh, what are the most important ones for you? Yeah, I think the, the most important, the most important one for Christians is what we're going to be talking about later. That we, um, we we tend to get very very caught up in the now and the immediate, and in reality, you know something. Everyone's really worked up, and it seems there's this obsession with with U.S. politics, even in Australia, and. Uh, and I think we need a sense of perspective. The sense of perspective is simply this. Joe Biden is not the savior and he's not the devil. Donald Trump is not the devil and he's not the savior. Um, and we place far too much trust in politicians or we become far too cynical. And I, I, I think there are general lessons to learn from the American um, election. But there are lessons that we should have picked up from the Bible anyway. But for me, the biggest one is just simply we need to get a sense of perspective about world events, because in the light of the here and now, they they may seem massive. But it's just like with us. There are events in, in our own personal lives that may seem absolutely massive. And yet in the light of a wider context, especially eternity, especially God and Christ, they are relatively trivial. And for listeners to this program, and we've talked extensively about issues like culture wars and what one side of politics offers that another side does not and which one of those might align to biblical values. And there is a temptation, isn't there, to think that political leaders, in fact, become as important as God himself uh, in the day-to-day issues of our lives. But what you're saying here is there is a context here and it's, it's actually chalk and cheese. There's no match for God and his place in our lives. Yeah, so, I mean, Scripture does give us some very, very good pointers on this. It doesn't tell us who to vote for, but it does say we are to pray for those who are in leadership, that we may, may live peaceable and godly lives. Paul, Paul writes that to Timothy. And I think that's the most important thing. We should pray for people whether we agree with them or not. It doesn't, and it's, and we should obey the political authorities insofar as we are able to. Um, however, I think what's happened in today's world, and this is a big cultural change, because this wasn't the case when I was younger, is that an awful lot of people are putting politics like their kind of religion. So people dance in the street because Joe Biden is elected. And you think, well, is that going to really make that much difference to most people's lives? Not really. And, and I think we, we have these functional saviors, and Christians of all people should not be those who despise political leaders, but neither should we be those who exalt them into the role of some kind of savior. Uh, and, and that's really what I was trying to say um, in the article. And also I was saying things like money isn't the answer to everything, that we do need humility. Um, we need to watch out in the church for false prophets, you know, people who are prophesying that uh, they had words from the Lord that President Trump was going to be uh, re-elected and he wasn't. So, I mean, either uh, either God got it wrong or they got it wrong, and I'm pretty sure it was them that got it wrong. 
Um, and I and I think also just that that whole sense of um, who's in control, who, who's in control of the whole world. And I I look at I think I I think I said in the article that Psalm seventy two uh, talks about um, the one who delivers peace and healing, and it's not a politician. Of course, it's Christ. You know, you're Scottish. Uh, most people listening to our conversation are either Australians or maybe on a track to be uh, citizenized Australians. Yeah. Uh, there's an obsession that we can have with America. But as an Australian Christian, uh, context-wise, uh, your, your article touches on some really important things. And you say, get over our obsession with America. Yeah. Yeah, now, I think this is really important, especially for the church. Now, let me, people, people so misunderstand when I say this because they think, oh, you're being anti-American. And again, people get very, can get very touchy about it. No, 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 that, that's not what I'm saying at all. In the, the, in the church, I don't think we should be nationalistic. There are many, many wonderful American Christians, and the American church as a whole has done a great deal of good. However, it's a bit like the British Empire, because there was a British Empire that controlled uh, or ran a third of the world, then the British church was seen as very important. There were good things about that, and there were bad things. And we've seen that here in Australia as well. What I would suggest is that the American empire is in decline, but the power of the American church in terms of money and media and so on is, is still very, very strong. And I would suggest that um, we need to think in terms of the worldwide Church of God. And it may be the case, I mean, my own view would be that this is going to happen, that there's going to be a shift in terms of influence and numbers from the West, particularly the U.S., um, to Africa, and especially, I think, to the Pacific Rim, to Asia. And the interest for us in Australia, and I say us because I feel I'm an, an Aussie just now, I'm living and working here in a lovely place, lovely people, and but I think that we need to be looking much more towards uh, Indonesia and Malaysia and, and Korea and China and Japan. Because I think these are areas which are much more within the sphere of Australian influence. And I think the Australian church has already done a great deal of good in these areas. But also, of course, the other thing is we have benefited phenomenally from people from these areas, Christians from these areas coming to Australia. So I, I preach in a Korean Presbyterian church here sometimes. Uh, we have a lot of um, people who are either Australian-born Chinese or they've moved from China who are worshipping in Anglican churches or Baptist churches or charismatic churches. Uh, there's some Indonesian uh, churches, Nepalese churches, uh, where I'm based here in Sydney. So I just think that we, we need to, I, I think we tend to focus a lot on the States because most of Christian media seems to come from there, especially English speaking. But we need to broaden our horizons a bit is what I was trying to say without decrying what's happening in America. Okay, just picking up on one more of these lessons that you're writing about from the U.S. presidential election, and the focus that you're talking about is not just the Australian church, but you're talking to the worldwide church, and so there are general principles here. One of those that you have highlighted is this idea of not neglecting a ground war. Now, there's a Tremendous analogy here between what happens politically and what happens in the church. Uh, give us some insights here and your thoughts about not neglecting the ground war. 
Okay. Politically, what happened here? I mean, why did the pollsters get it so wrong? Well, one of the reasons is they didn't see what was happening on the ground. So the the Democrats had by far the majority of money. They had a lot of um, Wall Street money and others and different people giving money. There was a, a, most of the media, with some exceptions, tended to be for for Joe Biden and most of the you know the big companies and so on. That, that was Trump's appeal was he was uh, against them and so on. But people thought, okay, this is, you know, obviously, if he's got the money, if he's got the media, um, we put lots of adverts. They they tried to unseat one um, Republican senator, put $100 million into just one um, Senate seat. And, you know, it was lots of TV adverts and so on. And they forgot something. And it was this. And, in fact, where the Democrats did this in Georgia, it worked really well for them. But they didn't do it in lots of places. And that is this. It's, it's boots on the ground that works better. So the Republicans were very, very good at getting people signed up to vote and going around and visiting people and so on. And my argument in terms of the church is this. You need what's called the air war. So that, that is media, what we're doing just now. It's the books. It's the big ideas. It's, um, you know, getting on to secular media, things like that. We need that. But what we need more than anything else is troops on the ground. And so your listeners, I would say that, you know, Joe Bloggs in Perth, who's just, you know, talking to their neighbours or being kind to the shopkeeper or whatever, that's the ground war. Uh, and that's, you know, if there are a million Christians in Australia doing that, we would turn the nation upside down. So although I think we need the big ideas, and that's what I do, I write about the big ideas and do that kind of stuff, really that is more to equip the, the ground troops than it is to say, hey, we're going to take over the world by having this mass media thing or uh, kind of what I would call celebrity Christianity. And, and I think that's, a, that's an important thing that was learned politically in America. But I think spiritually, you know, nothing is ever going to keep down Christianity as long as there are Christians who live for Christ, whatever's going on in general culture. Well, we have the big picture, the idea of an air war, and as you say in our conversation today, going out all over Australia, and it's not that when we're having this conversation, we are not the boots on the ground. People listening to our conversation today are the boots on the ground, and it brings us back to some of these important aspects that we began to talk about in the introduction today and that we want to get a focus on over the remainder of this hour. And this is the idea that there's some things that you just cannot replace uh, when you try to detach yourself from a local church setting because there are some wonderful things that happen in the relational interactions that we have in church life, not only between our fellow believers, but also between us and God. These are big picture things too, and they are ones that translate to work on the ground. So a ground war can't work if people don't gather for church. I wonder if you've got a thought or two, and we'll, we'll take a break and then we'll get right into it, but a thought or two just before we do on the idea that so many around Australia have become so accustomed to having a live stream of their church into their living room and not meeting together in their local church building, that that can become a habit and there's some things that are not quite right about that. Thoughts here, David? Okay, um, to be brief, and we will discuss it after the break. Um, it's hard for me to be brief, <laughs> as you probably gathered. Um, I, I, 
I think there are enormous advantages, and we've learned a lot from how to use online. That's the first thing. I also think it is profoundly dangerous, and there's going, there, there are particular pitfalls for churches to um, consider, and maybe we'll consider some of these you know, after the break, but it... It bothers me that, you know, it, it used liberals uh, used to argue, well, you know, evangelical Christians, the word became flesh, and now we've taken the flesh and made it word again, and it's just all about words. And now I think that what's happened is, actually, the boot, the boot is on the other foot. I think that we talk about incarnation, and we talk about Christ being with us. He brought, you know, he came to earth, and and I think there's a danger of us being disconnected as the body of Christ from one another and actually therefore being ineffective in what, what I'm particularly interested in, in reaching out to other people. So, um, you know, there are enormous advantages in some of the things that have happened, but there are tremendous pitfalls as well for us to look into. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316, to offer your thoughts on our topic today as we talk about our church experience and what happens when we become detached, whether we're forced to detach or whether we've simply changed our routines and become personally detached. What are your thoughts? You can respond to our Facebook question today too, which asks, can you have an authentic church experience of communion when you only meet online? David Robertson, the director of The Third Space, a project of City Bible Forum in Australia, on the line with us from Sydney today. Uh, David, let's talk about this issue because when we talk about gathering together, there's multiple dimensions here of what is so good about gathering together with the believers as a Christian, what that does for our lives, for our belief, for our activity. But let's come around this central idea of having communion and being aware that different churches do communion in different ways. What are your thoughts for the central gathering reasons why believers might meet together? Yeah, I accept that um, different churches have different ways of doing it. And if I was to explain to you, how my Scottish Presbyterian Church did it back in Scotland, but I think people would go, what? And if I tell some people how we do it in the Anglican Church, which I attend here in Sydney, other people would go, what? And I have a Pentecostal friend, you know. But there are some things that are basically apply to everybody, every Christian church. Communion is a uh, commemorative meal, or symbolic anyway, of the death of Jesus Christ. We remember his death till he comes, as the scripture says. We uh, take wine or grape juice to remember his blood that was spilt for us, poured out for us, and we take the, the bread to, re- to remind us of his body that was broken for us, but also uh, that we as a body are, are together. And, uh, you know, the different terms that are used, so the Eucharist in in Anglican, this idea of um, uh, a thanksgiving, it's a thanksgiving, or the communion, this idea of fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. These are all incredibly important. Now, the trouble is, I think, a little bit that there are people who think, it doesn't really matter if we meet together. We can just do it in our own home. And I would argue, to me, 
that's a bit like me saying, look, I'm going to have a party and I want you to come to my party, but I want you to stay in your house and watch it on TV and we'll watch you on TV. Um, you know, I, that's better than nothing. My, my daughter's getting married in December and she's getting married back in Scotland. And sadly, uh, we are not able to go because we're not allowed to go uh, by the government. Um, and, you know, that's extremely distressing. We will watch it on, uh, we will zoom in, and, you know, there'll be various things that we can do. And, you know, that's, that's better than nothing. I'll be glad to see it. But it's not the same as being there. And that's exactly what I would say in terms of communion, that, that yes, there, is, there are times when we are not able to get out, when we are ill or whatever. But the actual physical elements that Christ gave us, the physical presence of one another, I think if we take away that, there's something missing. Uh, and, and that's really what I was trying to say in, in that article. Wonderful to think of the communion service as a celebration, and indeed, uh, you're you know using that wonderful analogy and saying it's a little bit like having a party, and and for some people they'll think that sounds a little irreverent, but there there is a certain sense in which a celebration is a party, and so when you gather for church and you come around that communion or that Eucharist or however your church celebrates this communion time, there is such a wonderful essence of the celebration. Now, for some, that's a little bit more symbolic and just a uh, commemoration, memory uh, service. Uh, For others, there's a really deeper spirituality involved, something that happens as a transaction between you and our loving God. Uh, and there's this this whole transaction that you can miss out on, I guess, in, in the whole celebration party that you'll be having around your communion. Any thoughts here for the, for the deeper things that some people will see in their communion, this spiritual interaction with God and with one another? Okay, well, all right. So let's have just a, a, a wee bit of theology in this. There are different understandings of what goes on in communion. So uh, on the one hand... On one side, there's the Roman Catholic understanding of the Mass as being absolutely central and the means by which God communicates to us. There's the teaching of it being the literal body and blood of Christ and so on. And so for the Roman Catholic um, Church, it is the, you know, it's the center of, of worship. Now, on the, over on the other end are those... Um, uh, who would say that communion is just a, it's a symbol, it's a reminder, it, it causes us to reflect upon what Jesus did. Um, to some extent, on the Catholic side, it's like a reenactment of the sacrifice of Christ, and there are lots of people who'd object to that. And to the other, on, on the other side, it, there are people who say, well, it's just a reminder, it's a symbol, and so on. Now, in between, <laughs> there are quite a lot of different positions, but there are some, for example, my own uh, understanding would be this, that somehow in this very act of, of taking bread together and taking wine, it's a means of grace. It's whereby God communicates to us his, uh, you know, there's an old phrase that it's a strengthening ordinance. And I've often found this when I said, another phrase for saying communion is the Lord's table. It's his table. And when I sit at his table, I find that 
you know, I may come feeling guilty and I come with an awareness of my own weakness and, and sin. And I find that through the, the ministry of the word preach, but also the very act of taking communion, that God, you know, speaks to my spirit and strengthens me and reassures me and so on. And I, I've, in, you know, as I say, different people, and you acknowledge this as well, different people will have different understandings. So I'm not going to fight about it, but I would just simply say that over the years, I've grown to appreciate that the communion of God's people, the very fact of a group of people together, I, I like the idea of sitting around a table. I mean, in, in hospitality has played a huge part in my life. I grew up in a big family. I grew up in a culture where there's a lot of hospitality. And I, I just like this idea. I don't think it's irreverent to say a party, but uh, a meal um, together. And you know, and lots of the listeners will know, what a joy it is to be able to sit down at a table together with friends and family. And I think that's the, the case for the Christian church. It's a joy for us to sit together to specifically remember um, the Lord's death. One other thing I want to say, I'm sorry, this is too long, but one other thing I want to say is this, that in the Jewish tradition, in the Passover, when people sat around the table, there was always an empty chair, and that was for the Messiah who was to come. We don't have an empty chair. We believe that Christ is present with us. Christ has come, and he sent his Holy Spirit. And I often think of that when in, in my church back home in Scotland, sometimes we would literally sit around a table or we would have pews which would have white cloths on them that people would come forward to sit at. And I, I always thought um, of the old saying that Christ is the head of this home. Christ is the head of this table and we are his guests. And I think that's a wonderful thing. David, before we start to enlarge a little more, why don't we take a call? Anne is waiting patiently from Labrador in Queensland. Anne, oh, welcome along. Hello. Anne, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, I like your program, and I, I very find it very interesting to say. But um, I was saying that nothing can beat face-to-face with people and to interact with people. I think that's very important. I think we had to go online because that was something that was done um, through government, through leaders and the, and the government itself. But I think getting back to church, even though it's COVID and we still have other a bit restrictions, so it's nothing like seeing our brothers and sisters and worshipping together in one accord and loving one another. And good thoughts there. Uh, response from David. Any thoughts for Anne? Oh, no, I just totally agree. I, I totally agree. Um, I, I think there is no substitute for meeting together with the Lord's mm. people. Uh, it, it, you're, you're absolutely spot on. Um, I, I think that uh, there is a physical aspect to biblical Christianity. And, mm. you know, uh, and being with people. When you're online, online is, I'm, I'm thankful for online. But I, mm. I do know that it's limited. Mm. Anne, thank you so much for your call. And just before we move on, uh, the idea that the sort of people who do go to their local church may be people people. 
not everybody's a people person. Some people are shy. Some people are, you know, they like to live their lives a little bit more isolated. And I wonder who might be at risk more of being detached. And it's certainly probably not those uh, very, you know, outgoing, extroverted people, people who just love to meet together with one another. But there are people on the fringes, no doubt, who are a little bit less people people. Any thoughts around that, David? Yeah, I actually think it's almost the opposite. I think there are people who are shy and all the rest of it. I think you're you're kind of effervescing people who are constantly with others. I, I think that, you know, they actually can cope. They've got lots of other interactions. But I think within the church, we have got um, so much more. We've got so, you know, we can provide for, for people who are lonely. I think church is actually a real help. Um, so, uh, you know, we're not talking about this just is for people who are, you know, gregarious and outward going. Church is for everybody. And I think the actual physical being together is, is something that virtually everybody benefits from. Now, there, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. Of course there are, but exceptions don't make the rule. And, of course, uh, there's that whole difference, isn't there? Because why we go to church? Do we go to church because we are people, people, and wanting to relate to people? Or do we go to church because we're going there to commune with God? And uh, for a lot of people, that's the reason why they're going to church, to connect with God and to commune with God rather than uh, the people, people interactions. So there is, uh, it's, it works both ways. Absolutely, and uh, also I'm I'm kind of reluctant even with the terminology of people, people, because we're just talking about different personalities more than anything else. I I think there that that all of us, you know, are are social beings. We just express our sociality in different ways. So we, I, I joke about this. I'm a Scottish Presbyterian, so I say that social distancing comes naturally to me. This is the environment I work in, uh, but there are there are others who are much more, you know. I mean, I am, no, to be honest, I am actually quite, uh, I do quite, quite like, you know, um, hugging people and all that. But people don't like doing that. But that's very often a cultural thing rather than anything else. Okay. Let's talk about when we become detached. I know there's a lot of listeners who relate to this idea of feeling detached from their local church. Because when we become detached, there's a risk there that we develop new habits uh, like, you know, getting up just in time for when church is going to start online as it's streaming into your living room. What are your thoughts here for the new things that seem to pile in on us when we are now not expected to go along to church on a Sunday? Well, I think there's a real danger here because I think we very easily get into new habits. And I don't think habits are a bad thing. You know, so for example, having a habit of brushing your teeth every morning is a good thing. I actually think having the habit of washing your hands, you know, before eating or after eating as well is a good thing. You know, so these are, there are things that are habits that are good. And I think having the habit of meeting with the Lord's people on the Lord's Day uh, on Sunday is actually an excellent thing. Um, but when we get out of that habit, it's amazing how quickly we can get out of it. And so all of a sudden we're thinking, yeah, I don't need to go because I haven't been going for a while and I haven't got into this. And anyway, I still love Jesus and so on. But I, I remember what the writer to the Hebrews says, do not give up the assembling of yourselves together or do not give up meeting together, but do so all the more so that you can encourage each other. And I think our habits are not just to be about ourselves, but they're to be uh, about other people as well. Where are we, you know, what, what do we think of all this? How, how 
how are we, how are we how can we help our brothers and sisters? You know, these are really important things. Well, this is one of the dimensions, isn't it? Because if we neglect the meeting together, and a wonderful scripture that a lot of times people will refer to out of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, and uh, giving up meeting together means something very significant for others because we miss the opportunity of being a blessing and support to others because we actually feed off one another in the sense of whether it's encouragement or whether it's personal needs being met, this happens when there is a gathering of believers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Okay, let's talk about another really, really big dimension and that has a spirituality about it that cannot be replaced when you're in your living room, and that is the idea of singing together. What are your thoughts around this idea of uh, the corporate gathering where people lift their voices and sing to our God? Well, I mean, for me, this is fascinating. I think there, there are some people who think, do you know this none of this really matters because uh, whether we sing or not, that's just a rel- as long as we're hearing the word. But we are also to sing the word. We are to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I think the corporate praise in in, the ter- in terms of the sung worship of the Lord's people is 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 hugely uh, important. And I'm I'm concerned. I mean, I understand that we were not able to do so because people were concerned about choirs and spreading the virus through breathing out. But all the latest research suggests that actually speaking loudly and and everything else could be just as as difficult. Uh, And I do wonder if we are suitably socially distanced, why we can't sing together. I really miss it. I, you know, we're going to church on on, uh, Sunday and I find myself... uh, when the, the the band is playing and people are singing, I I, I often find myself, um, you know, they say hum along, and then I find myself speaking the words, and occasionally I find myself singing and thinking, oh, have I broken the law? You know, I I haven't, but you know, I I really miss it. There's an old saying, isn't there? Singing from the same hymn book. And uh, being on the same page is another little adaption to that. But singing from the same hymn book uh, is one of those things that brings a uniting of the people uh, under the one leadership. And I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on the idea of singing together is, you know, when we talk about troops on the ground, it means we're troops serving in the same army in that, you know, in that spiritual sense. Uh, some thoughts here on, on how valuable it is, the fact that people do sing together from the same hymn book. And, and that hymn book thing, not everyone likes to sing hymns. But anyway, your thoughts here, Dave? Well, first of all, we should like to sing hymns if we're Christians because it's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we need to sing psalms as well. And by the way, can I encourage uh, your listeners to get into the psalms because they are they are absolutely extraordinary in the sense of um, how much uh, they reflect um, our, our experiences in so many different ways. Um, so I'm very I'm very keen on that. But I think I, I find myself. Um, the collective singing together, there's something really beautiful about that. Uh, there's something that, that just seems to work so well. And it's a collect- and, and, you know, the Bible talks about the trees of the field clapping their hands. It talks about the mountains and valleys singing for joy. And that is what we are to do amongst the Lord's people. We sing lament. We sing joy. We, 
there are so many things. Above all people, the Lord's people are a singing people. And so I really, really miss that aspect. You know, we, sometimes I fear there's a little bit that we fall into the trap of making church a little bit like a show. Well, it's not a show. Uh, you know, it is. It, uh, and I'm, I think the, co- the collective aspect of sung praise is something that, yeah, I, I really, really miss it. A collective gathering that is not about showmanship, but it's about participation. And when you sing together, it's this demonstration that we are not alone, that we're all in this together, that we're all a part of the same force, uh, all a part of the same family. It's a family celebration. When we talk families, uh, this brings to another dimension here, which is just so important. And while we might talk about our own personal preferences in what we might see as being important in our local church, if we're a family and we've got young children, our children and their experience of church is very, very important for their future. And if you disrupt that along the way, uh, you can lose all sorts of important elements of a, of a faith development in our children. So what are your thoughts for our children and the importance of gathering together? Well, I do think it's the message that we're conveying. So when you're bringing up children, I mean, I've had brought up three children and of course we've not done it perfectly but when you are bringing up children it's it's what you say by example and I used to say to my kids especially when they were teenagers uh, you know we don't have many rules in this house but here are some (laughs) and one was um, uh, you know you're never cheeky to your mother the other is we don't do uh, we don't do drugs and drink and you know so on and then another one was as a family, we go to church. That's a non-negotiable. We go. That's part of what we are, part of who we are. I think a lot of, it's just like with education with kids. You don't say to kids, hey, you can go to school if you want or not. Um, and I, my argument would be on this uh, aspect of things that um, just as in, in COVID, children who miss out in poorer areas of the world, especially uh, children who are... Uh, missing school they are really are missing something quite profound uh, i think those who are missing sunday school if you like or missing gathering together with the lord's people they are also missing something very very profound and and you know I, again accepted that that's what has to be it's wonderful that i've seen so many churches do some pretty good stuff online uh for children but i think there's you know, the, the sooner the kids are able to actually meet together with their friends and so on, they can go to school, so why can't they go to church? And I imagine it's not just about making your kids into good citizens because of good values, which a lot of people will say, what are our children gleaning from their children's church experience? But it's about making good members of God's family. And so this idea of there being a a pathway, a a journey of growing in maturity and having a well-rounded formation of faith for a child, uh, that can be easily upset. And so worthwhile making sure sure that you're not neglecting the gathering together because children are an important element of that. Hey, another dimension to pick up on here, and that is when we're at home and not attached to the local church, uh, easy to be interrupted in a time, even if you've got time set aside, uh, to say, I'm going to give this time to God. Interruptions are always there. What are your thoughts for the idea that you can have uninterrupted time when you set apart that opportunity to go to the to the house of God and to worship with the other believers. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I, I, 
as anyone knows, when you go to church, you can be interrupted in lots of different ways. I think it's the prioritizing, though. It's a bit like, I'll tell you what it's like. It's a bit like if you go out for a date with your uh, girlfriend or boyfriend or wife or husband or whatever, and you uh, take along with you your mobile phone, your laptop, you know, everything else. And, I, I, you know, no, this is not going to, uh, this is not a good way to, to be. You know, I, I want to spend time with you. I, I know now when I go out with my wife, because I'm so addicted to my phone, I, I, I never, well, I rarely take my phone to a restaurant, for example, because I want to be able to say, no, no, this is time for you. And I think when we're going to church, we're, we are coming apart. We're saying, okay, we're leaving all this stuff behind and we're coming together to focus on God. And yeah, I, I think that's a... a the kind of point I think you were making. Uh, let's talk about another dimension. And sometimes we will talk about it, and perhaps there are different denominations that see things a little differently here. But the power of God uh, that is apparent when you gather together in church, and whether that's in the conversations that you might have with other church members, uh, hearing the testimonies that they might have, talking through the issues, uh, perhaps praying for them, or indeed what happens in a prayer line, because a lot of churches have, you know, if you need prayer, come forward and one of the elders or the pastor will will pray for you. There's something intense about that gathering. I wonder if you've got any thoughts here, David. Yeah, I think, uh, actually, again, we, we have to go not just by what our tradition is or whatever, but what the Scripture says. And I think that Jesus promises where two or three are gathered in his name, he'll be there in the midst. Paul says to the, to the Corinthian church that when you are together and a stranger comes amongst you and he's talking about what they were doing, he says that the stranger will be able to say, truly God is amongst you. I think there is a power in collective prayer. I think being together, we are, uh, in, in Western society, we tend to be very individualistic. You know, you in your small corner and I in mine. But I find that praying together with people is so, I find it so much easier than just praying on my own. Now, maybe other people have a different experience, but there is something about the collective. And I do think that often there is a sense of the Lord's presence when we are deliberately set ourselves apart uh, to meet together with his people. I've uh, I've experienced that so many times. You're on your journey and I'm on mine. And there are going to be some people who are way ahead of me in the journey and their maturity matters. There's a certain sense, isn't there, when we mix with the people of God who are doing life differently to us, who have different and various levels of education and experience in their Christian walk or how they apply their Christianity into their business, into their employment uh, as bosses, uh, into their whole life experience. Well, we grow when we appreciate differences in one another. And that's got to be an element that we're missing if we detach ourselves from church. Well, it is. And, 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 and it's an element that we're missing in different ways. So, you know, if I just say, look, I'm just going to meet with my friends, like we were talking about communion. I'm saying, I remember once a student came to me and said, David, why can't I just have people around to my flat and we'll have, you know, orange juice, he said, and opal fruits, which was, a, you know, kind of sweet. And that would be our communion. And I said, well, there's two problems with that. Uh, number one is that um, that's just you and your friends. You know, you are, you are missing out on an awful lot. Um, if you if, if that is what you're doing, because when I go to church, 
I don't get to pick who goes to church. It's not a church. It's a biblical church. It's not a church of people just like me. It's not just me and my pals. I remember once looking out when I was preaching at a pew, and I smiled because in one pew, uh, we had pews in those days, there was a millionaire Wall Street banker sitting beside a 16-year-old single homeless teenage mother sitting beside an, an elderly pensioner who, who didn't have a great deal of money, sitting beside a Greek student who could read the, the Bible in the original Greek. And I just thought, that's wonderful. That's the variety that we have. And you would never have that if we each chose our own. Um, it's God who's called his people together. And I, I think that's one of the great beauties of the church. And it's one of the things I miss. It's a wonderful leveler, and uh, it introduces us to humility uh, when we're sitting beside others who are not doing so well as we are. Hey, I've got a a little question here, and it puts you on the spot, David. A question, no notice here. Uh, It might be a ticklish one. It might be one you uh, might need a moment to think about. Let me ask you this, because some people will be thinking about the value of going to church, and I'm going to ask you this question. Is it a sin to neglect gathering together? What are your thoughts around that concept? Well, okay, you ask what is sin. Sin is going against God's will. It is two things. It's a negative. It's doing what God is going against what God says by doing what, so murdering someone is a sin. You know, you do not kill. But it's also... Uh, when we refuse to do the good. It's the good that we do not do as well as the evil that we do. And I think in in that regard, um, I would uh, say that there there is a command for us to meet together and we are not to forsake meeting together. There are exceptional circumstances where we can't do it. You know, you're lying in your bed sick, for example. Um, But it's the desire that's the issue, maybe in prison for your faith. That could be another example. But in general, for a Christian to deliberately refuse to obey the command of God, uh, that to me is sinful, and I would be very careful about it. Okay, well, that's a really great response. And uh, for listeners who are concerned about that, of course, uh, it's going to be different horses for different courses and different circumstances and contexts. But there are going to be those who are deliberately neglecting what uh, they've felt in their heart is from God. And for that, it may be a sense of rebellion, and you might class that as a sin. Hey, uh, let's talk about where we place ourselves now, because a lot of people are coming out of lockdowns. Churches are being able to gather together, and I'm thinking primarily Victoria here, where I think they can have about 10, uh, 10 people gathering or 20 outside. I, I'm not sure of the exact numbers there. Very, very small numbers. If you're a part of a big church, that's very, very small numbers. Uh, there is a certain sense in which you've got to plan your your life, uh, medium term, long term, and recognizing the short term context and the circumstances you might be in right now. Any thoughts here and encouragement for listeners who can't go to their local church? They are restricted to just doing uh, church online, and that's a real uh, lifeline for a lot of people. But what are your thoughts for, for making your plan for how you're a part of this big family of God, or even as we're talking about being part of the army of God? God has a mission, and we're all a part of that, for the medium to long term. Any thoughts here, David? Yeah. Well, obviously there are people who can't go because, let's say, there's government um, restrictions in that way. There are people who can't go because uh, they are particularly vulnerable and they're fearful of 
you know, in terms of COVID and various other things. And I understand that completely. That's to me, that's not an issue. But I think it's back to the desire. So it's a bit like, uh, again, think of a, a, an, an important relationship whereby, uh, let's say, myself and my wife, uh, I may not be able to go and spend some time with her because I'm ill or because I ha- there's something I have to be away at work or something like that. But if I have no desire to, that's where the problem is. So it's all about the desire. You know, sometimes I've found myself being honest, uh, even as a, a Christian minister, thinking, do you know this, I can't be bothered going to the prayer meeting tonight, or I can't be bothered doing this. And then I've gone, and it's been like a, a, a shower in a dry period. It's been so wonderful. And so I would always encourage people, you know, try and meet with your brothers and sisters. Don't get hung up if you can. Don't get hung up on guilt if you can't. And don't be too distressed at the fact that sometimes you don't want to. I would just simply say, you know, have a look and and, and consider, um, you know, the advantages of it. And the Lord has given this, not as some kind of spiritual thing to go at us, but just for us to, to focus on and, you know, get to know him better and to get to know his people and serve one another. And it's a wonderful thing. I don't see church as a burden. I see it as just a great blessing. Well, what a way to finish our conversation today. And uh, as I often say, church is God's idea. He's done that for the benefit of the believers who will gather together. And sometimes we can miss the value of what that attachment really means. And uh, what a wonderful conversation and great insights today, David Robertson. Uh, We do have to tie our conversation up and mention, of course, City Bible Forum and in all the capital cities around Australia, you're leading what's called the third space and uh, no time to give uh, an insight into that today. But I know that there'll be listeners who'd love to read some of the articles that you write. And uh, we talked about one a little earlier, lessons from the US presidential election for the worldwide church. Well, people can Google that or David Robertson, and you'll find David's articles. Now, there's a number of websites I can point to, citybibleforum.org, also thirdspace.org.au, and then there's your blog site, David, just to draw special attention to that. It's called theweflee.com, and given that you're a Scot, that's why that that title is there for your website, theweflee.com. David Robertson, I want to appreciate you so much and thank you for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Great to be with you. Thank you. And thank you for the stimulating conversation. And God bless your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.